today. I got with me my good buddy, Justin Trees. Um, he's a law enforcement guy. He's been in for doing law enforcement for, I don't know, fucking ever. Uh, so we'll be talking with him, picking his brain about some gun shit, firearms training in the law enforcement world, and hunts and background and all that stuff. So how you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show, Jacob. It's yeah, awesome dude. to be here. Yeah. Yeah, this is fun. It's our... This will be our first, my first, my first guest ever. So this is kind of cool. This like, is legendary. Yeah, You're setting, be... setting the pace right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good or bad. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, first guest, um, we're just hanging out in my house and see how this thing goes. So, all right. But, um, going into this, Justin, uh, you're going to give us a little background on yourself and who you are and what you've been doing with your life. Absolutely. So my name's Justin Trees, uh, originally from Northeast Iowa. Um, been in law enforcement for uh, almost 20 years now, uh, 18 to be exact. Spent most of my time as a full-time deputy. Uh, initially, the way I got started in law enforcement was as a reserve deputy out of uh, Butler County. Worked in the jail part-time, eventually worked my way up to getting sent to the Iowa Law Enforcement Academy and then pursuing my career as a deputy sheriff since that time. So since 2003, I've been employed as a deputy sheriff. We've moved, recently moved, uh, fortunate enough to come in contact with good people like yourself, uh, moved up to the Mitchell County area. Uh, we've been here about five years now, uh, have a great working environment, and got a wife. She's employed in the area. Uh, She's a nurse, and then three boys, Brandon, Brock, and Brody. Nice. Yep. All Bs. Did you guys plan that? We did plan you that. You did plan that? Yeah. <laughs> that way I can just yell B1, B2. You're all in deep shit. Let's just, let's just get this over with. Yeah, that's bitches right. One bitch you. Yeah. They've, heard, they've heard it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Why Bs? No specific reason. No specific reason. Uh, you know I guess looking around at it, there's a lot of trees boys. So from where I come from, I think there was like 19 trees boys and two trees girls was all. So when it came to picking names, we, uh, we wanted to stay away from anything closely related and, and the bees were the open, open letters. So that's what we went with and we rolled with it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I never even asked my parents. We're in my family. We're all J's. Yeah. You know, um, besides my sister, Amanda, but like between, my dad, my mom, we're all J's. I never actually asked, besides the fact that my last name is Johnson. They're like, oh, JJ would be yep. fucking sick. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just badass. That's yeah, all. Just go JJ. <laughs> yeah. And then we all had the nickname JJ. We said, I don't think Justine had the nickname JJ by well, anyone. But <laughs> if they could see your photographs in here right now, your yeah. your high school wrestling pictures that I'm looking at, they definitely say badass. Like, yeah. well, that's amazing that's being pretty fucking nice yeah i hope More we get jackass, <laughs> i hope we get a shot of that by the end of this show because it's yeah. awesome you guys yeah. will love it yeah this is it's pretty cool little setup we got here my wife and i we kind of worked on it i don't know for the past week or so just kind of or actually a couple of weeks order and stuff and getting stuff set up and a little spare bedroom here but uh turned out pretty well i think it's yeah a nice little setup honestly the room's cool man you did an awesome yeah. job you got soundproofing on the walls and he is decorated to the gills with hunting equipment, military, everything. It's pretty badass. Looks we need, great. We need somewhere, somewhere to put all the shit, too. So my wife's getting pretty <laughs> pissed about, about being in uh, the other spare bedroom that yeah. you know guests actually are going to be sleeping in. So <laughs> I'm sure it'll get fuller. Oh, yeah. Yep. So uh, 
so you're a cop. Um, were you? You've always been a deputy, right? Like Correct. Everywhere you've never been like a town cop or a city cop. I have. So else. I spent a I spent a short time between going from from Butler County to Mitchell County. I initially went to the Osage Police Department, which is also located oh, in, yes. in Mitchell County. I was there for a short time before getting on with the sheriff's office. So mm-hmm. um, I think out of uh, 16 years law enforcement, uh, just under two years as a, as a city officer. Okay. Yeah. So, in, yeah, even your time in Butler, your county. County, okay. yeah. What's the difference between the two, you think, like the biggest difference? That, do you like one over the other? Or? Absolutely. So – you know, I was pretty blessed to to work in the city that I worked in uh, as far as type of calls, number of calls that we dealt with, the individuals that we worked with. We had a great team. So I've been I've been very fortunate in my career. However, when you're when you're comparing the two, I look at do I have the ability to go out, work a number of individuals, different cases, and can you continue to progress in these different communities, not just one community, but any community within the county and mm-hmm. and work certain cases and my area that I really enjoy working spend the majority of the time working is going to be narcotic related okay yeah yeah so because the yeah the biggest difference between like I guess town cops you want to call them or city cops and you know being a deputy is that you have the entire county to work with so in everything else and um so you focus you is that like a personal thing or is that like a something that got tasked to you like mostly narcotic related stuff or is that just something that you notice in the community that you're like hey you know what there's a lot of fucking crackheads around here meth and shit and you start nabbing this shit in the ass or what <laughs> like, so, what, what 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 led you towards that so initially when I started in in Butler County um, you know I think I was there let's see I was there about five years and I was fortunate enough to get on the North central Iowa narcotics task force. And I was part of the special operations group division and we had the opportunity to do a lot of extra training, our call outs, uh, which is, uh, basically a 24 seven, uh, call out possibility within nine counties surrounding us, uh, including Butler County at that time. Um, most of that was narcotic related or weapon related. They were all high risk search warrants. Um, the reason we would get called would be we have the the extra training equipment. Uh, so many factors come into play with that just to to keep the scene safe, keep the citizens safe, and that individual that we're dealing with. We just have the the capabilities of of dealing with that individual resources that local agencies don't have, and and coming to a peaceful ending. In the mm-hmm. situation. So that's initially where it kind of all stemmed from. Um, a lot of the individuals I, I worked with on the task force and including those local agencies were very driven type A personalities. Um, we meshed really well, but most of them were narcotic related. That's where their interest was because it was high pace. They wanted to deal with, with the core of the problems that were going on. And it seems like if you really want to get down to business and, and get involved with these people, when you're going to put a cap on on any type of crime, it's going to be a lot of times related to narcotics. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yep. So like your so in your experience, you've been seeing a lot of uh, a lot of the violent crime and stuff like that. It all kind of stemmed from narcotics use. Like a lot of the what do you want to call them? Fucking perpetrators or 
whatever. They, sure. A lot, of, a lot of them were also involved in drugs. Absolutely. Kind of so. Yep. And that's okay. not, that's certainly not every situation, but I think far majority is a fair statement. Yeah. yeah so kind of think like, so that's what kind of like led you towards that realm is that you're seeing a lot of the issues stemming from narcotics use and stuff. So you're really focused on that. Yeah. The other factor I would say is, is I enjoy dealing with these people, you know, some people, um, and everybody has their, their certain area that they really enjoy. Um, they focus the majority of their time on a lot of it is not narcotic related because they simply don't want to have to deal with these people. Me personally, I prefer to deal with them. Um, they're not all bad people. They just went down a bad road. And when you get to know a lot of these people, you're actually able to do, uh, you know, what's the right way to word it? I guess you're able to assist them uh, maybe down a different path than than what most would see. Yeah. So like a lot of – you guys call them narcs? Uh, <laughs> so, no. No. <laughs> so uh, – what do you, what, let's see the official term, P- CI or something. Yeah. So confidential informants. Confidential informants. Um, okay. You know, I tell you what, I've dealt with some some excellent individuals that are at, you know, they have abbreviations that I don't even know. But, you know, around us, you're looking at the task force investigators. They're solid guys. Uh, you're also looking at uh, D&E, Division of Narcotics Enforcement. And those dudes are solid, like. They have the intel on everybody and everything that's going on. And a lot of what I learned come from them. Um, the ability to talk to these people and gain their respect and, and most importantly, maintain their respect. So when other incidents are occurring, uh, maybe unrelated to narcotics, where they feel the need to report, they're going to call you. Mm-hmm. They're not calling the sheriff's office. They're not just calling anybody. They're going to call that one officer that they trust because they know it's a bad situation and I want to be that guy. I want to mm-hmm. be the guy that they know they can call and we can get results in the end. Mm-hmm. So this is because a lot of the times this, you're not going to be working while this is happening. So you're you're really taking a little bit extra workload since you have all these uh, CIs and stuff and people that have grown to trust you as a cop and as a person to be able to call you pretty much whenever the fuck they want. Like to, to if, if they see something to report something directly to you, then they trust that you're going to actually go forward and do something about it rather than right. So write, write down a report and say, thanks for your, thanks for your concern. Right. So majority of my, my morning, what it looks like is, is I primarily work late shift or, or second shift. I bounce around. It's only a four hour difference for us. So not a huge change, but a lot of times by the time I get up, um, I'm probably spending the first hour on, on my phone, just dealing with text messages or phone calls that I maybe missed while I was sleeping, mm-hmm. um, related to that exact thing. And that's not every day, but that's, that is definitely a high percentage. Um, and when it comes to, to CIs, confidential informants, you know, those are really, when we're being honest, they're hard to come by to say you have a true, what we call solid confidential informant. Mm-hmm. What I refer to them as is whisperers. So an individual who's going to talk to me, but's not willing to get on that stand to testify. Oh, I got you. Which is yeah. fully understandable. And I think as law enforcement, you need to respect that because mm-hmm. they're not in a good place. If they're calling me to to relay information, there's probably a, a certain level of danger that they got to deal with. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so we respect into that. Drugs and, they're already into drugs and shit. And, you know, I don't know. 
I watch movies and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you get someone that is talking to the cops, like, that could be very detrimental to their health, you know? Right. Way more detrimental than the drugs. So it's like, you know, I don't know. It gets, get, word gets out that a certain person is talking to the cops. It's probably not a fucking great deal to have. Right. So. Yeah, they don't want to yeah. establish that name. There will be consequences a lot of the times. So, you know, mm-hmm. really if, uh, you know, I think in my career I can probably count on one hand how many confidential informants I've had that I call true productive confidential informants. Oh, really? Yeah. Is there a lot of, you, know, you can tell me to fuck off too, but um, is there a lot of cops that do that and then basically put their CIs into bad spots by for, like really putting them out there and taking it a little too far? Is that, are most narcotics cops that, that you're talking with, like a lot of them are pretty solid dudes and kind of, you guys all have the same, I guess, standards and stuff that you're working with. Sure. Or? No, it's a good question. And, you know, it really depends on, on where you're at, where you come from. Right. And there again, I've been very fortunate, whether it was Butler County, Mitchell County, task force related, D and E related. Um, it really didn't matter. Everybody I worked with, their highest concern was the safety of that individual. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I handed, a uh, informant off to a DNE agent, they would allow me to go be part of the controlled buys or uh, whatever stemmed from that investigation. I was able to be present during that time. And every one of them, their highest concern that they put out there to that informant was their safety. Mm-hmm. And they followed through every time. I never have and never have had a situation where I thought, this is very dangerous for them. We need to get them out of there right now. They've always protected them to the core and yeah. stood behind it. That's good. That's good. Because yep. there's a uh, grand shit in Chicago is going to be a lot different than shit is in Northern Iowa. You know, so it's like obviously there's going to be you know everyone listening is going to have different. You know, maybe they know a cop that's maybe doing some weird shit or whatever else. But uh, it seems like to me, um, you know, I've been in a bunch of different, lived in a bunch of different places and stuff as well, but. I don't know, man. It seems like around here, like all the cops are pretty solid, at least that I've ever met around this area. They are. So. And and what do you see around this this area? When you're talking northeast Iowa, and let's not just limit to Mitchell County, but you have a lot of smaller communities, smaller counties. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to get for, for cops? You're going to get a lot of new cops yeah. just coming into it, inexperienced, very green, not knowing how to deal with certain situations. Or even when we start talking – Traumatic incidents. How do you handle that? How do you cope with that? And how do you push forward? And even though these guys are solid, it's still, it all goes back to who are they standing next to? Who's willing to help them through it? How is their command staff? And that's where we've all been blessed around here is, yeah. is we have been very fortunate with all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one big reason why I came back. And obviously not the cops, but you know, the big reason why I came back is because <laughs> I didn't come back for you guys. I'm like, Oh man, we got the best cops. Here. But you know, it's like, but like just the, 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 the community and stuff. Like I yeah. feel like we have a solid community and that breeds, um, honestly stronger cops too, because you guys all live in the community. You're not living somewhere, you know, far away. You're not living outside this community. You guys all live here in this County and stuff. So it's like, we have a pretty, I feel like we have a pretty, up here in these smaller towns in Iowa. And so we have pretty solid communities for the most part, it seems like. So I, I don't know, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that breeds like a certain type of 
you know, cop that wants to be involved in a community that's as small and tight and nosy as these communities are, honestly. Because they do get pretty nosy, but honestly, it all comes from a good place because we all know each other for the most part. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's a fair statement as well to say that every one of these cops around here, cops, deputies, state trooper, it doesn't matter what uniform you wear, everybody's invested in their communities. And, you know, through Mitchell County, you have a you have a deputy, a city officer, a trooper generally living pretty close to you each and every town. Yeah. They know what's going on. The people respect them. So Except troopers. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, joking, just... yeah we're going to go down that road in a little bit. <laughs> we ain't got enough time for that. Yeah. You respect uh, them. <laughs> you respect troopers. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I'll say that now. No. Um, but, but in all fairness, um, it's everybody's invested. Their kids are in these schools, uh, their, their spouses, their family, their friends, everybody works in these areas. And you and I, uh, after becoming friends, we've, uh, we've also done the same thing together where felt our investment for public safety mm-hmm. and worked together in schools. Uh, me learning tactics from you with your military background and myself applying those tactics. You taught me with the active shooter trainings. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, so let's go uh, go down that road a little bit because that was one thing that was, that was really cool. Like, um, you know, obviously, you're not just going to go around and ask anyone. Like, we became friends and everything else, and um, we have a certain amount of trust with each other and, and everything else and having the background. But um, when you called me and asked me to help you with some active shooter training, like clearing, clearing rooms specifically and in schools and how we'd handle those situations, I thought that was really awesome that, you know, like that a deputy in my area was – is for one not doesn't have the ego, the big ego, or it's like you know I know what the fuck I'm doing. I don't need anyone else's help. You're always trying to learn and be better so you can further protect this community and stuff. And I thought that was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, and it was it was a blast. Look what I took away from there, um, and I I could go on for hours on this. Uh, you know, the listener may not fully understand, but but the reality of this is is that. If you've ever heard the saying, there's 10 ways to skin a cat, this is one of them. Um, We get taught certain things by certain agencies or training organizations, and generally what they're putting out there for us is pretty good information, and we're able to apply it to a certain amount, but we still have to fit those individuals that we're working with. So you got to remember a lot of these training organizations are – you know, they're high speed dudes. They're they're oh, yeah. law enforcement, they're military, probably special forces. Yeah. Um, and we're very blessed to have Delta Force guys, SEALs, everything else come here and put on trainings for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the same note, we still gotta be able to fit different individuals. Uh, and that's where you came in is I was getting held up on a couple you know, in a couple spots in the school with the type of people I was working with. You came in, showed me some some of your cool shit, and it uh, actually solved the problem mm-hmm. and was applied to a training I put on for another county uh, a month later, and it was it was a hundred percent applicable and was the best thing I did. That's cool. How they how they feel about that when you went there? They loved it. So yeah. I got a man. It's the first time I've done a training for these guys, and that's a neighboring county and a large uh, city police. So I had a group of guys come over, and this was off duty. We just got together. Uh, we scheduled at eight o'clock at night. One night we run for about two and a half hours in a school and they were so receptive of it. They've called me back. said it was the most 
incredible active shooter training they've done. We want to bring the rest of our guys over. So what we applied, what we did together, along with the training I had in the past, uh, was huge for them. They, awesome. they loved it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so that's one thing too. Like, uh, you know, I, obviously I spent, spent almost 10 years in the military and we did a lot of, a lot of CQB and shit, especially working up to a deployment and everything. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, that was one thing that, um, uh, I always, you know, with all the school shootings that's, that's happened in this country and stuff, I, I called you one day and just to pick your brain, like, dude, just be honest with me. Like, how is it? Like, how is it, how is that type of training actually being conducted and how often you guys kind of do it? And it's not as often as I wanted it to be, but that's also because I came from a military background where we had plenty of time. We didn't have to go patrol the streets and do anything else. The only thing we had to do was train and work up and train and work up and get ready for deployments. And to, you know, that's all we did was train. Mm-hmm. So you guys have, you guys have a full-time job. So I understand that after thinking about it for a while, I was like, I understand why you wouldn't have, you wouldn't be going over that stuff as much but it is cool that you guys do carve out some time and that um there's guys like you that are willing that are really willing to get out there and learn something new from other people and actually put your own personal time into it and plus i got let's be honest it's pretty fun like it's fun doing this shit it's a blast it is a blast (laughs) and you know what when we uh when we go out and we do these things we don't just have support of our of our superiors um you know even the the regular law enforcement guys that are around here, the deputies and the the city police officers and the the state patrol, um, everybody's getting together on their off time. You would it would probably shock most people in this area if they knew how many times a month we get together and go run drills in a school for forty five minutes to to ninety minutes just to stay fresh, make sure we're working appropriately together in these situations mm-hmm. and in these environments. But what also comes into play the school is allowing us to do that. Yeah. Every school is allowing us to do that. Mm -hmm. And what's that providing familiarization with the environment? Mm -hmm. Can we get to that area faster by, by consistently going in there, running these, the rooms, knowing where everything is laid out, how it's laid out. Is there going to be things to change? Absolutely. But simple familiarization of each and every school is a big deal for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause that's one thing we touched on too, where it's like, um, looking at, you know, kind of looking at and seeing how certain police departments handled, handled shit when it actually came, came up, you know, when there's actually an active shooter in a school and how different police departments handled that, you know, on, on the news and all that shit. And it's like, I don't know, it, that familiarization with the school is really big because how long does it take for like. I don't know. In our case, it'd be SOG or whatever else, or a SWAT team. How long does it take for them to spin up? So it could be hours, right? Probably not. So when we're when we're talking about SOG, um, again, SOG is made up in north north central Iowa. We have nine counties. They're mm-hmm. all surrounded. We have we're made up of seventeen individuals, twelve entry operators, and five snipers. Hmm. Um, those snipers can also operate as entry guys as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody's trained the same, but they do have their specialty. They spend a little more time behind the rifle than what we do. Um, in order for them, you know, if they were called out for a situation like that, a lot of them are not, we're not responding necessarily to where all our gear is stored, uh, because we carry all our ballistics weapons, 
uh, personal gear is going to be with us. Each and every person has their own and it's in their vehicle. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be responding one by one to that scene. The other location where our MRAP or APC or RDV, uh, which are tactical vehicles with uh, the real equipment in it, Mm -hmm. that's probably going to take about 45 to 50 minutes if we're talking Osage. Oh, shit. About 45 minutes to get that stuff here. Holy fuck, I thought it was slower than that. That's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So let's dial that back real quick. So the way SOG is... So are the snipers are do the snipers start out as entry entry personnel or do you jump in as a sniper or how does that work out like who gets who gets what I guess there is there's a hiring process on the SOG mm-hmm. team and initially when you are hired you have to either apply for an entry position or a sniper position assuming you get hired in one of those positions that's going to be your specialty you're going to and let's just say sniper you uh, you apply as a sniper, you get hired, you are immediately going to be sent off uh, for a week-long training just specific to sniper training. Oh, okay. um, if you get hired as an entry guy, you're going to go to the first available SWAT school. Hmm. Now, we do cross-train a lot. Everybody is familiar with every piece of equipment, everything we do, and there's not one guy on this team that cannot function in either capacity. Yeah. Um, so yes, their, their initial week long training of just, you know, it's probably a 60 hour school is going to be pretty hardcore. It's going to be directed to that one special sniper or entry position. And then they're going to start doing weekly trainings. What do you do? So, so I'm actually cross certified. So initially in Butler County, I got on as an entry operator it took me about 18 months, and I was running the ballistic shield. So I'm first guy in. Um, when I left Butler County, you have to resign from the task force because that county funds you to take care of that that position, okay? Oh, okay. So they're, they're footing the bill for your time there. Um, not necessarily equipment, uh, but they'll definitely assist you with that if necessary. They provide you with the transportation and the fuel to get there. So when I left Butler, I had to resign from that that position. When I came to Mitchell County, position opened up. Man, I was chomping at the bit to get back on. I needed that high pace. I needed that extra uh, adrenaline, if you yeah. want to call it that. But that's what it is. That's the reality of it is, is I need that extra uh, excitement. And Well, and you love training. Like, and I love we, training. We you, love, you love to yep. train. You love doing that shit. So it's like you're not going to necessarily get as much training as you want when you're just a – Standard right. patrol officer. Right. Either, so. But even more important than that, and you're exactly right, you hit the nail on the head. But the the best thing about that is I can bring that training back to a certain extent mm-hmm. and I can deliver it to these guys around here and advance their capabilities. Yeah. And that is huge for me. That's uh that's probably the most satisfying thing of everything is if you can keep these guys a little bit safer by bringing that knowledge back to them, man, that's what I really want to be doing. And SOG is great. Their training is solid. Um, you know, we we train sometimes weekly, usually biweekly, uh, full-day trainings. And then we have these special certification schools we have to go to all the time, uh, whether it's WMD-related or, or use of force or whatever it may be. But WMD. 
Weapons of Weapons. mass destruction. Yeah, so no we certify shit. it. People got fucking nukes around here, dude. Uh, well, I tell you what, I could tell you a crazy freaking story about a ricin lab, but holy shit. Um, yeah, that'll <laughs> make you pucker. Out of breaking Bad. But, yeah, I, everyone thinks it's bullshit until you go in there, and then all of a sudden you're puckered up because it's uh, yeah. it's an experience I'll never forget. But we do certify; it's mandatory if you are on the WMD team, which is uh, almost all the entry operators. Um, you're going to certify in chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, and explosive terrorism. Holy shit. Yeah. So, and they are, you know, I want to say our certification to get full capacity is damn near a full month. Holy shit. Yeah. Damn. That's awesome. It's intense. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds intense. Yeah. But it's awesome. And it's, uh, it's a training that, that can be delivered back to to others yeah yeah that's cool that's uh one thing that obviously in today's uh political climate being a cop isn't near as cool as it once was no you know? so but it's gonna come back around it is it, it is. is once once they you know once those um big cities and shit once they start defunding their police force and oh well, there already has been rampant crime in a lot of those places so they're starting to see the fruits of their labor yep. so it's gonna yeah i think it's definitely gonna come back it's one of those things where you know, it wasn't that long ago in like Vietnam era when soldiers were coming back home and getting fucking spit on and all that other shit too. So it's like once upon a time it wasn't very cool to be a soldier. It's pretty cool right now. Like everyone's like, Oh yeah, support our troops, this is fucking badass, you know, everyone right. loves soldiers and stuff right now. But it all comes it all goes around. It's all cyclical, you know, where eventually we're gonna get into a war where people are like, Oh man, this is fucking stupid yeah you know fuck these guys yeah absolutely the same thing with law enforcement it is and and i would say that a lot of people in the law enforcement business felt the same way like there was even a time when i was like man is there anybody out there that really gives a shit or doesn't want to uh, cause problems for law enforcement and i don't necessarily mean criminal i mean the video recording put it in on instagram or or TikTok or whatever it may be just to to make it a situation appear what it is not. Yeah. And I would say this, once you kind of open your eyes a little bit and calm down about it, there's a lot more people out there supporting law enforcement mm-hmm. than the naysayers. There is. And it's one of those things too where you're you're starting to see a little bit, you know, a lot of the a lot of there's certain groups of people out there that are very, very pro law enforcement. They're all, you know, Constantly, you know, I don't know, you see the bumper stickers and what whatnot. But uh, there's a lot of people that are very, very pro law enforcement. There's some people that are very, very anti law enforcement. It's like it's one of those things where, in that makes today's climate really weird is that there's so many ends of the spectrum. Like there's people that just fucking love cops and they can't do anything wrong. And there's people that hate cops and no matter what you do, you're doing something wrong. So it's like the the two ends of the spectrum are insane to me. And in the middle is somewhere where we need to be, but eventually it's going to come back. Eventually I, I feel like with enough of the extremes, it's going to start bringing, pushing more people back in the middle. Cause they're going to go test the waters and one, one side or the other and be like, okay, that was a little too far. Yeah. And they're going to come back. I already, it's going to kind of even out eventually again, I think. Yeah. And I, I think you're already seeing that change the last 12 months. I, I feel it out there coming around already. Um, we probably haven't felt it like so many people around us, yeah. Uh, but we've still felt it to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. But look at our governor. Our governor is highly supportive of law enforcement. Oh, yeah. Kim Reynolds, yep. 
incredible job yeah, what she's, she's done to support genius. us and show her. And she represents, man, mm-hmm. like legit. Um, so we're very fortunate. Uh, North Central Iowa, Iowa in itself, a great place to work. Yeah, dude, Iowa's awesome. I don't give a fuck who you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like Iowa's pretty awesome. The thing that's cool about Iowa is something that I didn't think was very cool before. When I, when I was a kid, I was I, I always thought I was fucking pretty lame because, you know, small town, shit's boring. You don't have shit to do. There's no fucking McDonald's around here, you know, this, that, and the other. But then as I got older, I'm like, you know what? It's pretty, it's pretty awesome being a little bit insulated from all the bullshit and looking on TV and be like, oh, thank God I don't live there. You know, right. that's kind of nice. Right. How many times do you go to other towns and see your high school parking lot at 11 o'clock filled up with high school students sitting on the tailgates of their trucks just talking, playing bags, having a good time? Mm-hmm. like Drinking beer. Yeah. What's I mean, up? <laughs> yeah. But at least they have koozies on. So, <laughs> I mean, technically I didn't see anything. Dude, I but, got fucking busted. <laughs> you, know, yeah. nice you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> They say the best cops are like those that were criminals at one time, yeah, right. so you guys can't hide from me. Yep. <laughs> Dude, one time I was, in, I was in high school, I had, my, I had a, a Cadillac. My first car, we, we bought that shit from Check fucking, Mark right there. Yeah, dude, we bought that shit from Slim. You yeah. know, <laughs> it didn't have any AC, but man, that thing was fucking cool. I had red, red leather interior and a huge trunk, so we could fill all our beer in the trunk. Yeah, that was pretty sick. That was definitely a Target vehicle. Oh, I guarantee was. you. For, and we were the only vehicle in the parking yeah. lot. Me and my boys were just sitting around fucking slinging beers and throwing them on the ground, and a cop drives by. I'm like, now he didn't notice. And he turns around like, fuck. And yeah. all my boys leave. I'm like, it's my car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I get yeah. run. So yep. I took it. That's funny. I remember some pretty crazy stuff. I remember putting uh, in my, I used to have a 79 Velari and I, I cut a hole for a piece of PVC so we could dump our empties right through the PVC oh, yeah. into the trunk. Perfect. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, Dude, and all the trucks. A lot that. of stupid shit back then. <laughs> yeah, all the trucks on the, the back cab, you know, uh, middle window. Oh, yeah. Oh, just let it rip. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, that was awesome. Those are the days, you know. It wasn't quite like Andy Griffith days, but <laughs> no, it was pretty all right, though. Yeah, but <laughs> we were still we're very fortunate back then. I mean, look at our law enforcement. Like, they were good people. They were, they were interac- yep. interactive with the communities. The kids used to love them. I mean, when we really look back, did we have problems with law enforcement? I remember being stopped so many times, and they were, rather than targeting us, they would just tell us, I think it's time for you to go home, son. Yep. And, and we're very respectful that's, you respected them, though. That's the biggest thing. And, that's the biggest thing. Is and that, everybody was on a level playing ground. Yep. Yeah, that was the biggest thing. I've been, I don't know, I've been busted a bunch of times for underage drinking and stuff. But it's one of those things where, you know, all my, I had some other buddies, they'd be like, you know, just being fucking, just being dumb. Just being assholes mm-hmm. to the cops, just, you know, talking shit, all this other stuff. And I, whenever they come to me, I was, I was, I was always taught that it's better just to, be upfront and honest, you know, like when you fuck up, especially. And uh, that's one thing. Like when other cops came to me, like, "What's your name?" I'm like Jacob Johnson. Like, "Oh no, shit, what's Johnson?" I go, like, oh, "Fuck, here we go." You know, so <laughs> <laughs> I start going down my family tree and see what they know. Like, "Oh yeah, I know that one. Okay, cool. Oh, you're Mark and Becky. It's great." And I'm like, "Yep, yep, yep." There's no hiding from it now. But you know, I was always yes sir, no sir, this that. And they're treating them with respect, you know, because they. Well, I don't know. It's just how I was. It's how I was raised as a treat. Treat cops with respect and everything else, and it was always reciprocated to me. At least I got, I got let off a lot. Got let off a lot more than I didn't know how my friends did, you know. But it's <laughs> yeah. one of those things. I treat them with respect, and they're like, you know, what? this guy's not a fucking, this kid's not a fucking douchebag. I'm gonna yeah. cut him a little break here, 
here and there. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it's just kind of one of those things like, you know, you got to take this one on the chin. You've been busted <laughs> yeah. like four times yep. this year, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Same situation on my side. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like the cops around here. And obviously, and that's the thing with big cities and stuff that you see. Obviously, the news and everything's focused on the big cities and all that stuff because they don't give a shit about what we're doing here. But uh, unless something really bad happens, then they care. But uh, in the big cities, a lot of cops are getting a lot of flack. It's like, dude, you got to realize like what they're dealing with every day. They're not dealing with you know some punk high school kids drinking beer underage. They're dealing with like some straight up wild shit all the time, yeah. like twenty four seven. You know, it's like. As a soldier, we'd go get deployed for a year, and we'd deal with some crazy shit while on deployments and everything else for a year, six months to a year, however long your deployment is or whatever. And uh, then we'd come back, and we'd decompress, and we'd either go back or be done, whatever, you know. But uh, you have that time. But in a cop's case, there's no time. You have, what, eight Ten hours before you have to go back on shift or whatever else, yep, and hang out with your family or whatever you got to do, and then you got to get hit the streets again and deal with the same fucking shitheads that you're seeing every fucking day, doing the same shit, never learning the lesson. Mm-hmm. So you have to get harder on them, and shit's the fan, and someone gets shot or whatever. Yep, it's crazy. Yep, I, you know it's there's such there's you know there's similarities between certain similarities between military and law enforcement, right and but I think a, a big difference is, is that military goes over, they, they serve their tour, and, and whether they have that time to decompress, I don't know. Um, but I would say with law enforcement, you know, a lot of those traumatic incidents, um, and not necessarily, necessarily firearms related, um, when we're talking everything from car accidents, um, just yeah. DOAs, all those, all those things that that are critical incidents or traumatic incidents hunting a little bit so as a cop do you think it's conducive because you're a big hunter you like you like hunting right absolutely we've been on hunting together that was a loaded question (laughs) as we see in the (laughs) biz but uh so how how being a cop do you guys get a lot of time off and stuff like how like to pursue certain hunting ventures and whatever else or what yeah, so so everybody's schedule varies a little bit, but I would say that here we have a great schedule that, that works out very well for hunting season because we are working six on, four off. So you can get four, five straight days of hunting in. Uh, most people don't get that opportunity. Um, so, yeah, when it comes November, you take a, save up your vacation, take a little extra time, and you can go straight for a couple weeks and – Nice. And not burn too much time. So, which is actually what I'm doing in November. Uh, during rut, I took a week off, so it, that actually totals out to about 14 days. And now I'm heading down south, going to hit some public ground, and hopefully find a big buck down there. Nice. Just going to try something different and go have a blast. That's awesome, dude. Dude, going down south is awesome. I guess it's so much different than up here. Up here, it's all flat, and I don't know. They is it's. When you think of Iowa, whitetail hunting, it's southern Iowa. It's not north, central, northeastern Iowa. Like, over, way off in the corner, that's pretty good, too. But, man, southern Iowa is fucking where it's at, for sure. So, that's awesome, dude. It gets tougher around here, too, every year, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? Just, you know, this sport is exploding right now and has been for, for a long time. But 
everyone around here, we have more and more bull hunters every year. Mm-hmm. Now we're we're able to shoot uh, straight line casing, high power rounds. Um, so you yep. s- you see more and more youth out all the time. Yeah, higher um, powered rounds, we'll say. Yep. Yeah, they're not high. They're not like your quote yeah, high power three hundred wind mags, but compared to a twelve gauge shotgun, stock, right? It's, yeah, right, and that's but it's really gained the interest of a lot of hunters. Yeah, it um, so getting that access to to areas around here becomes harder every year, and mm-hmm. and not that we're trying to impose on on people down south, but but just getting out, venturing, seeing some of that different land uh, and what it has to offer. Mm-hmm. I'm stoked, man. I'm well, I'm excited the, to go check that's it out. The cool thing about being an Iowa resident is that you get a statewide tag. So why not utilize the whole fucking state of Iowa, you know? It's right. like it's uh, – there's so many non-residents like that live outside of Iowa that are big whitetail hunters, and they they just – they dream of pulling a tag for one zone in Iowa because that's all non-residents can – they're all constricted to a zone that you have to apply for. And that's why it takes like five, six years to draw a tag down in southern Iowa in a lot of zones. But being a resident – I feel like it's just it's almost uh it's almost a disservice to those poor non residents that can't hunt the whole state. <laughs> yeah. So why not make use of it, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot more public down there and everywhere else. Like up here we don't have we don't have shit for public. Yeah. So I, I do hope I hope I can go down there. I'm certainly not gonna go in on a public ground where I see a lot of people at, mm-hmm. um ex- unless it's an area that I can walk miles back into and really push myself to get back in there past where they're at. I'm not going down there to impose on anybody. I just want to see some different terrain. I hear good things about the size of the bucks down there, a little bit bigger. Um, So it's just an all-new experience for me, and uh, something I'm pretty excited to go do. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I think we're – because I'm going to be hunting down in southern Iowa as well whenever I can. Uh, Obviously, Africa ate up all of my PTO, (laughs) right? So I have no PTO left, and also – in the middle of October, we planned a trip to Kentucky. So whatever PTO I've accrued since then is going to be dumped in Kentucky. So I'm going to have zero PTO for fucking whitetails this year. Yeah, but that's all right. It's going to be. I mean, Africa was totally worth it. So <laughs> it's going to be a lot of rabbit hunting for you around here this year. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. But um, going back to what you're saying about uh, land getting swallowed up and bow hunting and all that stuff, that's one thing I've, I've noticed. Like you said, there are getting to be a lot more bow hunters every year it seems like it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger which is awesome but it's one of those things like i grew up gun hunting and party hunting in iowa so we would get together with a bunch of friends and family and you know go hunting together and be more of a team but bow hunting is so secluded it's very singular like you're not you're not going out there with a party of guys to go bow hunting you know you're going out there by yourself generally if you have one other guy or two other guys you know, decent sized land that you're working with and it's, then I guess you can go hunting together, but you're not hunting together. It's very, you need a certain amount of acreage to yourself to be really successful bow hunting. That's the difference between gun hunting and bow hunting that I've kind of noticed is more and more bow hunters that get into it. And the more, especially the more and more wealthy bow hunters that get into it, more and more of that land is getting swallowed up. Not blaming bow hunting, but in something wrong per se. But it's one of those things where a lot of guys are leasing ground 
a lot more than they used to. I just, when mm-hmm. I was a kid, it used to be pretty fucking easy to go knock on a door and be like, hey, can we go hunt your property? And they're like, yeah, kill them all. Yep. But now it's like, you knock on a door like, oh, we already got Jim Bob over here fucking bow hunting and he doesn't want animals on there and he's paying me X amount of dollars a year to, to do it. So, right. yeah. It's not a bad thing, but it's just that's the changing culture that we're living in, especially with social media and everything else getting more and more and more popular, more and more into everyone's daily lives. That's yep. one thing I've kind of noticed is that, man, everything's getting a lot more competitive when it comes to land and hunting, like hunting land. Yeah, absolutely. And and I grew up the same way. Um, party hunting, you know, bow hunting didn't even become part of my life till well into my adult years. Um, you know, and just to give you an example of how tough it is to get land around here to hunt if you don't have your own your own ground uh or private ground is uh you know we got a group of boys my my middle son is 14 years old and huge hunter when it comes to deer turkey upland birds waterfowl he's he's everything and he's a fucking tank yeah he gets it he gets after yeah he's he's pretty legit but he studies it every night whether it's Mm -hmm. his calling or his approaches or whatever like he's for years he's been on this and he's done it on his own and I hate to say it, but he's a way better caller than I am. Um, but I'm not going to tell him that. But uh, but him, he's got some buddies also uh, in his class. I bet he's got half a dozen that are, are legit hunters, and their families are, are great people. They get in a car, these these young men get in a car, and they go around and they start asking people for permission face-to-face. Um, they're knocking on doors and after eight hours of that, they have zero people willing to give them permission because they're three, four, or five people backed up waiting mm-hmm. to get on their property. So it is really tough for them. Uh, we're fortunate. We got some private ground over in Nashua that belongs to, the, to us, so we've always got that to go hunt for them. But on the same note, it's still nice to get out, venture different areas, yeah. and, and experience new things, and, and that is becoming tougher around here. Yeah, I think that's one thing as a – as a hunter, you just really got to learn to adapt and, like like you said, get out there and travel around a little bit. Find those little honey holes in certain areas, even if it's public land. Like, I know public land is super popular right now, too, which is cool, but it's, you know, it's all just getting a little bit harder, but it's not impossible. You just got to get out there and spend a little time and be able to, just, I don't know, yeah, get out there and travel a little bit, even yep. if it's, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever. Just go right. out there and move around a little bit, so... Yeah, that's awesome. So when did you get into hunting? Man, I think as far back as I can remember, I I know just from photographs that my old man had had myself and my brother out shooting when we could hold a gun. And mm-hmm. we were shooting, whether it was pellet guns or whether it was 22s, it didn't matter. We were we were out all the time target shooting in the front yard or we were you know, we were lucky enough to live on an acreage so we could pretty much shoot whenever we wanted to and had plenty of room to do so. Um, but growing up, everything was about the outdoors. And it wasn't just hunting. It was about the conservation part of it, too. We we were huge trappers. My old man was a huge trapper. And, man, he used to put some miles on some rugged hours just to just to work the fur bears. Like, it was incredible. Trappers are wild. Yeah. And that's... That's the thing to get into. It seems like there is not near near as many trappers as there used to be. No. There used to be dudes out there trapping all the time. No. But if you look back what it was 30 years ago, price-wise, like it was worth oh, your fuck. investment. Mm-hmm. I remember him taking, 
you know, a month off just a long line. And him and another guy, man, they'd run hundreds of miles and come back with a truckload of fur. Mm-hmm. And then us boys would all be in there, four or five of us skinning all night long and oh, yeah. stretching fur, fleshing, whatever. Um, today, you're basically donating that fur at this point. Pretty and much. it's a huge part to our conservation, especially when we start talking upland birds, waterfowl, turkeys, even deer. Uh, mm-hmm. When we start talking deer and coyotes, um, when they're dropping their fawns, like it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah, deer, hundred percent. But yeah, the the upland birds take a huge hit to coyotes and um, possums and skunks and all those nest nest feeding animals. You know, they fucking just destroy those eggs. Yep. They destroy them. So that's one thing, definitely. Like, trapping is wildly underrated. But, yeah, like you said, back 30 years ago, uh, who was I listening to? I think it was Randy Newberg. I was listening to him, and he was talking. He put himself through college off furs. Like, way, I don't know, he's fucking like a 1,000 years old. So, you know, it's like way back in the day. But, uh, yeah, he put himself through college just from trapping. So it's like... Yep. That's how that's how awesome it was back then, and now it's yeah, it's you're really you're really just doing it for either for fun, or for the conservation part part, or to learn a new skill. But you're not you're definitely not doing it for the money. Anymore. Absolutely, you're definitely not. not making much money. No. You'll be lucky. You'd be lucky to maybe break even if you had a really good year just from buying your traps. Right, and that's that's a big if. Right, you know, you know. I always think back when we're talking for bears to 1993 and the reason that that always pops up to me is i was just a teenager then i I was 13 at the time we had some major floods that year and the muskrats were out of control and and tearing up land and i remember they were so overpopulated that we had to go buy two additional huge freezers just to freeze these rats because we couldn't keep up with them. They were catching so many. We, and we were skinning like 50, 60 a night. And it was just nonstop, Jeez. selling them for five bucks a pop. And I don't remember what the total number. It was in the thousands that they Holy had caught shit. that year. But we don't just, at that time, you know, my old man, he's a, he's a hell of a hard worker, very meticulous, uh, preps his fur, doesn't just hand off a carcass, right? It is, you're going to skin it, you're going to flush it, you're going to stretch it, and you're going to maintain it. And that's exactly what we did. And that was, uh, that was basically our job for three months. Damn. That's uh, cool though. I should say two months. Yeah. That's awesome though. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's wild. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of, that's a lot of damn rats. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of damn rats. Yeah. I don't even know what they go for anymore. Probably like two or three bucks. Um, yeah. You know, I, it's hard to say. Um, I've kind of, I don't want to say it. I have stepped away from the trapping, and the reason I've stepped away is just because of the recent move, and I don't have the proper equipment set up in a separate shop to to be skinning animals oh, and dealing right. with carcasses, um, and I'm not going to do it half-assed. I'm not just going to throw them out back. We're going to do it properly. Do the kids trap? Absolutely, but it's on a small level. Um, they learn the trade, and they can do the trade, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's water sets, snaring, counter bears, whatever it may be. But they are learning how to handle these animals. Um, and in the end, even though they don't see the gas money or anything, they do make a little profit on it. Mm-hmm. And they also see the impact it's going to make on the conservation. Yeah. That's a nice little That's a nice little thing, though, to throw in the old piggy bank, though. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's kind of cool. And once we get these 
Peter fucks out of here and the need for prices to go back. <laughs> you know up, that's but. never going to stop, right? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. It's only going to get worse. Yeah, it's going to get yeah. worse. Yeah, it is. Fuck. Everyone knows like a good fur jacket is way better than that <laughs> fake artificial fur jacket. And you could sport <laughs> that. If anyone could sport it, oh, it'd be yeah. Jacob Johnson. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. One, that's one goal. If I, if I ever get into trapping, I'm definitely going to make my own like coat for sure. I could see you in a beaver coat. Yeah, dude. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm more of a coat. I'm more of a mink kind of guy. Nah, that makes sense. Yeah, I get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have a beaver coat with a nice uh, on the hood, having real nice, beautiful coyote rimmed fur hood. Yeah, be dope, dude. That would definitely so match dope. your beard. Yeah, yeah. Go, that. <laughs> go up, go out bow hunting late season. Fucking <laughs> my beaver coat. Sure, <laughs> oh, man, that'd be sick. Yeah, I never got a trapping. I think I went with my buddy a couple times when he was trapping. We clubbed a couple otters or something once. Yeah. No, actually, I shouldn't say a he killed. He did get one otter, but it's mostly uh, he got a couple of mink when I was with him. But he didn't want to ruin them, so he clubbed them. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Yep, that's uh, and actually, that's that's what we do with a lot of animals. Um, but it is, I you know. It's, Hard for some people to understand, but it is very humane. There's a tactic to it. It's not just a random start swinging and and get it over with. There is a tactic to it, and you do do it to preserve the fur and get the best price you can for it. Yeah, you're not sitting there just, like, using it as a baseball and beating the fuck out of it. It's a very, you know, you're you're hitting it really hard right in the dome, lights out, done deal. It's pretty damn fast. A lot faster than shooting a deer, probably. Yes. I feel like, you know, so it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Clubbing baby seals is probably what gave us a bad name. <laughs> yeah. You know, when they, yeah. when they go around and clubbing baby seals and beat yeah. the shit out of them. But clubbing is not a bad deal. Not a bad way to go. I'd rather go getting clubbed like that than I think, getting I think eaten, if a, if alive. It, yeah. I think if it, if an individual had was present to witness it that was kind of on the fence and actually saw how it was done would think differently on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest thing, man. And a lot of the hate and stuff for sportsmen, like whether you're hunting, trapping, whatever, a lot of the hate comes from people that just don't know. You know, they, they see something, they see an animal getting killed. They're like, Oh my gosh. And I, I do. I blame Disney for this shit. Like Disney had a huge impact on, you know that Bambi, come on, yeah, that show sucked. <laughs> that show fucking stunk, dude. Yeah, I watched that show. That was, was like, emotional, still yeah. a little emotional, dude. I watched that when I was a kid. And I was like, man, fuck hunters, this shit is terrible. <laughs> then my, I went on my dad like, later that year, but you know, and didn't have a problem pulling the trigger either, did you? No, I didn't. But at the time. When I was watching that movie, I'm like, man, this is fucking terrible, man. <laughs> so fuck them losers. Those guys suck. <laughs> I hate oh, Disney. <laughs> but uh, so your kids are really not like we went to because we went to Idaho a couple of years back. Was it two years now? Was it two years ago? Three. Nineteen was it? Yeah, three years ago. It'll be three years ago. I guess. I think huh? it was three years ago. We didn't kill anything, but uh, you brought your you brought your oldest son and. That was pretty fucking sick. That, yeah, that, that so, whole trip. But uh, how do you like? Did you raise your kids like being out there and hunting and stuff? Like, what age did you br- start bringing them out, or how'd that go? How does that go with raising kids and get them into hunting and being yeah. outdoors? So, my kids started 
in the outdoors immediately. I mean, they, they were raised when they were little kids. They were just like every other kid outside playing. You did, they weren't in the house. They, they never had the video games or things like that. They, their time was spent outdoors. They took to hunting and what the rest of their family was doing at the time at a very young age. Um, I really promote firearm safety with them. Um, I would say bow hunting at the time was, was not, at least when my oldest was was young enough but yet old enough to come out with us that bow hunting wasn't really a thing for me um just a thought i guess at that time so the were you bowing though i wasn't you weren't yet okay no i was in my mid-30s before i really started bow hunting yeah um you know i had a couple old piece of shit bows Mm -hmm. and and that's probably what deterred me was i didn't think i could actually kill anything with it yeah. And I was right. What I had for equipment was yeah. not sufficient yeah, um, and way messed up. So, um, but at that time, you know, my boys were out three, four years old. They were shooting the, the Daisy BB guns oh, at yeah. pop cans, which progressed to the, to the 22s, the youth model 22s advanced to the high powers and then advanced into shotguns when they could handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they had to learn how to shoot open sights before they ever shot behind the scope um which of course quickly advanced into the optics uh shotguns come a little bit later you know they were probably seven years old when they were shooting a youth model 410 or 20 gauge Mm. um and actually after shooting the rifles were very natural at what they were doing the most important thing was that i expected them if they were going to go out you could handle that weapon, carry it across the field in a safe manner with uh, very limited mistakes. If And I think it's more fair to say no mistakes because if they made a mistake, they unloaded that weapon and they carried it empty the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. And and it didn't happen very often, but it absolutely did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also had to be able to go out and execute an accurate shot or at least show me that they could do so. Now, under pressure... In a live event, a it's a little, just like everything, it's a little bit different. That's a lot of misses. Gotta, that's a learning curve. you got to find out why you're doing it. Absolutely. You know, so. Absolutely. But yeah. it didn't take very long. You know, I think they probably spent their first two years uh, missing a lot of upland birds. And then mm-hmm. once they made that first kill, it was on. Like, it is. It, yeah. Yep. Everything. Dad wasn't getting any shooting. I was just picking up <laughs> birds and carrying them. Um, and they've just progressed from there. They're... At their age, they are so much farther advanced. And But look at what's being put out too, right? Yep. Like they're studying YouTube, all these big hunters out there and these podcasts. Like my kids are paying attention to that stuff. They are constantly listening, constantly trying to learn a new trait and applying it out in the field. Um, it is for me to see, it makes me very proud that they're not that individual sitting in the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, dude, if it's cold and rainy out, they're going to be out hunting. Like that's when they want to be out hunting. If it's uh, if there's a storm coming in and it doesn't matter if it's hunting or if it's fishing, if there's a storm coming in, they're going to be down on the river trying to bang out some walleyes and some smallies. Like mm-hmm. they are so proactive with the environment and conservation. It's, it makes me very happy that that's the direction they decide to take. That's awesome. So like, uh, what did you just gently push them towards it? Or is it like something like, this is what we're doing or you just kind of introduce them and they just took off. So it just took to them because all your boys do it. Yep. I would say it definitely just took to them. I would say this though, regardless if they wanted to or not, they have to learn gun safety. 
Yeah. Because there's a lot of guns in my house, just like so many people that we know or you know, every Iowa resident has a gun probably in their house or majority. I, I, yeah, I don't personally uh, know um, anyone that doesn't, but and that's, you know, all their friends, um they all I know that their mom and dad have guns in the house. Uh as a law enforcement individual, I have a quite a few duty weapons in the house. Um so they they are it's mandatory that they are going to go out. They're going to learn how to finger index. They're going to learn how to carry a weapon. They're going to learn their forestop, their backstop. Um, they're going to learn how to move with that weapon. And most importantly, they're going to learn how to make that weapon safe if they mm-hmm. are not sure what it is, what condition it's in. Yeah. Um, outside of that, if they did not choose to hunt or harvest animals, I don't have a problem with that, but it was just never an issue in my house. Mm-hmm. They, I would say that my youngest, Brody, was never amped up. He was more into the target shooting. Very mm-hmm. good shooter for 11 years old. Dude, he can, at 100 yards with open sights, 22, you know, he's shooting a two-inch group. Like he's, or maybe 75 yards, whatever it is, doesn't yeah. matter. But he's a, he's, a, he's a very good shot for his age. That's um, awesome. But didn't have that excitement about harvesting like the other two did. Um, now, he kind of got into bow hunting, got his first <laughs> bow, and, dude, that's just, like, exploded his interest. Yeah. Um, the other thing that he's really taken to is he's been able to step up to uh, to a high power with an optic and the the fur harvesting with the coyotes and the fox. Oh. The calling. So that's a big deal for him. And and loves that. So he might go just a little bit different than the rest of them. I'm not sure. I'm sure he'll swing around and he'll be into the, the white tail and the, the elk and the bear and everything else. But right now, he's uh, he's definitely focusing on those few things. That's awesome. That's one thing I need to start doing. I need to get out and get after some coyotes. Sometime. Yeah. What a blast, man. Dude. Is, that, it, is that your favorite type of hunting? Do you love predator hunting more than anything or what? Um, After going to Idaho... The intensity level of the elk, and more, even more important than that, the level of intensity that we have to have out there on the mountain just to chase these animals around is huge for me. Like yeah. I like to challenge myself physically and mentally. Um, right now, that's probably been the best thing I've been exposed to to really challenge me. But when it, oh man, like <laughs> I'm not even going to say what I'm thinking, but. Uh, <laughs> But the uh, the predator hunting, absolutely, definitely one of my most exciting things to do. When we're talking a little more laid back, um, just chilling out, finding a good area, good calling area. I also like applying my my sniper certifications um, in the training that I've I've been blessed to do with long distance shooting. Oh yeah, that's a good. This is a really really good way to practice. Yeah. Honestly. Yep. So, okay. So you're a sniper of the SOG um, right, right now, right? Negative. So Negative. I am. You're an entry guy. I ended okay. up going back. So I, you're correct. I did get hired back as uh, as a sniper. But the reality of that is, is, is I can do the sniper position. Um, maybe not even as good as some, but I, I can shoot fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not where my interest is at. Not fast enough pace for me. They all knew that. They know that my build is, you know, I'm 5'8", 210 pounds, <laughs> and I want to be the first guy in the door. I want to blast some shit. Yeah. Fucking ballistic shields. Let's go. I, the bottom line is I want to make sure that first guy in the door 
the rest of the team doesn't get held up, regardless of what your roadblock is. If, if it's a 6'6", 300-pound guy, you're moving him. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not an option. And and I struggled as a sniper sitting back watching that and watching the team, um, you know, whether they push through or not. But they always push through. It's just how many seconds did it take. Yeah. And I wanted that that level of intensity. I wanted that put on me. Mm-hmm. And they all knew it. So as soon as that opening came up, I went back to entry. So that's cool. I still maintain my certification as a sniper, um, but I am running ballistic shield. Okay. Again. That's pretty fucking sweet though. Number one man is arguably the most important position. I'd say in, in when you're talking about room clearing and stacking on doors and doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's like number one man is the most vital position because He's the first one fucking in, you know, he makes the decision. He, he decides how the whole room flows when you're getting into some action, doing right. whatever you need to do. And obviously in law enforcement, it's a little bit different. You have a blessing shield doing that thing. Uh, we didn't have those. We just ran, you know, quick identify shooter, shooter, don't shoot kind of thing. And that number one man is the one making that decision a lot. Like, I don't know, nine times out of 10. He's gonna mm-hmm. he's gonna be the first one in the door making contact unless somehow he doesn't see him. Yeah, he's fucking dead. Then it is what it is. <laughs> it so, is what it know, is. Is right. It is what it is. They call us bullet catchers. Yeah. Yep, yep. yeah. <laughs> but uh, so you like to? So you still enjoy like long distance shooting and shit? Absolutely. Okay. That's yeah. What's that's, your setup like? So right now I'm shooting a seven mil, um, and range on it so i just got this rifle it's an ar platform remington ar platform and uh in a seven yeah. mil mm-hmm. oh shit yeah it's Can pretty bad. i got a picture out. i'll show you check that out. <laughs> so it's yeah it's pretty badass um to say that i've shot it enough to really establish what i need to with it uh absolutely not so i'm just getting into it familiarizing myself with it but it's a it's a new purchase my wife doesn't know about, so I'm sorry if you Whoops. listen to this, Beth. Whoops. She's probably going to listen <laughs> She ain't going to listen to this. She's a fucking nerd. She's way too smart for a <laughs> yeah. shit like this, dude. <laughs> she's studying, I'm sure. Yeah, right? She's a nurse, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah. She's yeah. not going to listen to some She's, uh, she's some, the, some doofuses talking yeah. about and guns and shit. So. I, I told her we were doing this tonight, and she's just like, whatever. Yeah, Have right. a good night. I don't think she'll ever hear another no. thing about it. No, she's how'd it go? Went good. Great. Yeah. <laughs> she's great. She's quite a smart ass though. Cause when we got back from Idaho and not getting an elk, she bought me a huge picture of an elk because I wasn't good enough to kill one. So <laughs> she was, she probably spent $300 on a picture just to say you're a dumbass. Yeah, so that, that was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this every day yeah. until you go back, but it's a nice picture. I like it. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture. <laughs> be a lot cooler if there's like a shoulder mounted six by six. Here <laughs> yeah. In the living room. Eventually there will be, there will be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't give a fuck dude. I need to go back. You can go back with guns. Hungry, <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? No. What an awesome trip, though. Yeah. Bow hunting elk is one of those things where, man, that's hard to beat. That's hard to beat because the, just just from the the temperament and the time frame that you're going there, you know, mm-hmm. in September during the rut, it's amazing. It's awesome. But, man, I would love to go back in, like, October with a rifle and just yep. fucking let her eat, dude. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be awesome. So, uh... We also went on a little excursion. Uh, that was that was last year. We went hunt wars, right? Correct. So that was pretty fucking cool. Went to New Mexico and did that thing. But that, um, 
what the, where the fuck was I going with this? Well, that was a gun hunt. Yeah. And we were um, prepping up and re- getting ready for hunt wars and stuff. That was one of those things. Like after, first of all, after I got drawn, I was like, holy shit, I don't have a partner. <laughs> so I called you and talked to you because I, I mean, I was like, man, we, we did Idaho already together and that was a blast, but we weren't successful. We weren't, I guess, quote unquote successful. We didn't um, kill a, kill an elk or nothing like that. But um, I was like, man, we need some, we need a little redemption. Do you want to come to the sun show with me? That's pretty fucking epic, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, that's wild. So Hunt Wars is, those of you that are not familiar with Hunt Wars, what an incredible group and what they have put out for people. It is unbelievable. And the entire trip, the everything they do for you, not to mention the prizes you get. Like regardless okay. if you if you win the show or lose the show, you are coming out so far ahead. They're putting themselves out there, but they are going to build something that's mind blowing out of this. Yeah. I can't imagine what it's going to turn into. I'm excited to see it. But that group of guys has the personality to do anything they want. Mm-hmm. They they are just all of them incredible yeah. people. They're top notch. Yeah, for sure. They're top notch. It's one of those things where. You know, I don't know, as long as if they stick it out and write it through and they just continue this for as long as, however long they want to, you know, if they stick it out and do it forever, then it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And yep. it's going to be, it's going to turn into something pretty, pretty freaking amazing. They've already got some crazy shit lined up for season three, it sounds like. And I was, I was actually talking to Britt, um, or he was our cameraman during the mm-hmm. trip in New Mexico. And they have a sick new sponsor with Savage Arms. Yep. I'm like, dude, what the fuck, man? You made me buy my own gun. <laughs> this is some bullshit. <laughs> you better send me one of them savages. You know? <laughs> but uh, no, he giggled about that one. Obviously, he's not going to send me one. But <laughs> <laughs> not yet. We were on season two, and uh, it was one of those things. Like They're so new into this, but I think they're starting to gain a lot of traction. They're, they are top-notch dudes. Absolutely fucking amazing guys. Yeah. The yeah. amenities that they had for us out there too. For like we weren't I wouldn't say that we were roughing it per se. We had our own chef there. That was pretty sick. But uh it definitely wasn't like it wasn't a gimme. Like it wasn't it wasn't like Africa. We weren't sitting there drinking beer every night, but it was as comfortable as they could make it and it was it was a blast, dude. Yeah. The back seat of my truck was was very comfortable, yeah. let me tell you. Yeah, you wouldn't even sleep in the tent. <laughs> Have you, you seen the rattlesnakes nerd. out there? <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. Let me tell you, they're monsters. Like, them things are like 12 feet long out there, and there's no yeah. way I'm getting in a tent where they can crawl into. It isn't happening. You just got to go for it. But what did we do? We ate snake that night. We did. We, we did, did eat a snake. Cool. That was yeah. pretty cool. Man. Yeah, you fucking... I was the only one in the tent. The only one. No one else slept in tents. I, was the, yep. I had... There was two tents set up, and I'm like, you know what? I'll fucking stay in here. The other team, the other... Yeah, the other the the opponents team uh, Utah, they slept in their fucking Taj Mahal, big ass stupid fucking camper that they brought. <laughs> no, it, was, it wasn't stupid; it was sick. But man, that was that was wild. I had the whole tent myself. I'm like, man, I'm the only motherfucking hunter here. <laughs> Everyone else is a bunch of fucking I, pussies. <laughs> I feel I, I do feel like uh, sleeping in the back of the truck was roughing it too. My back hurt extremely bad by the Honestly, end of the trip. Yeah. Honestly, I felt worse for you. Then. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that shit could not have been. I was cool. a complete bitch about the snakes. But you were that's, just, you were that's living, ridiculous. You were living in fear, so you deserved Man, it. <laughs> did, how many snakes did we see, though? A like lot. a freaking lot. Dude, we were there. How long were we there for? Uh, it was a 
almost four days, right? It was almost four days. It was a three-day hunt, but we we killed day one, and that's on all on the YouTube that you can watch them on Hunt Wars. Um, yeah, we killed day one, but then we st- stuck it out for, yeah, I think it was, I think we, yeah, Two we ended up leaving on day, it was day four. We stayed through the whole time because yep. some of our guys wanted to do some extra hunting because they had an opportunity to buy um, more tags if they wanted to. So the spotter from Team Utah, he ended up um, shooting an antelope too and stuff. After the whole show was done, they went out and did, did their thing. That was pretty sweet and just mm-hmm. going out there. And we, we went back out and we shot a fucking coyote because we're like, well, what do we do? I don't know. Yeah. They're, they're a hunting, but we wanted to stay away from them for their pronghorn hunting and stuff. But we, talk, we were talking to the rancher. Like, hey, do you have like coyotes running here that we can go chase? He's like, yes. And you can kill all of them. Like, Nice. Yeah, <laughs> we shot one. Yep, never found him. Nope. I think but uh, but that was an awesome shot too. I mean, it was uh, it's a definite hit. Yeah. I, it wasn't an immediate kill, but uh, well, it was quite a distance. Yeah, we kind of gave up. We didn't really give up, but we looked for a while. But dude, where he where I shot him at was that was Rattlesnake Central, and I didn't want to be in there. I was yeah. I was rocking tennis shoes. I'm like, well, oh, that makes oh, two of us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh. That's the thing there. Like those coyotes are pretty rancid there too, and they're a huge pest to the to the cows and the cattle mm-hmm. for the ranchers. So we did him a pretty good service taking one out there. But uh, yeah, was, what was that? It was like four hundred thirty yards, wasn't it? It was long. I, I remember it was out there. Um, that was cool. You know, didn't they have camera footage or or an actual sighting of a cougar just before we had got down there? I remember them talking about a cougar that had been traveling through. I remember them talking about it. I don't know if they got camera footage of it, though. I think the, I remember hearing talks about it. They yeah. heard, heard the rancher talking about it and stuff, but I don't know if they actually got it on like, camera or nothing. Yeah, I can't remember how that played out. But Either way, dude. But we did see, saw a number of coyotes, got one decent shot. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we uh, were there for moral support after yeah. that. But it was a blast. I mean, Dude, the pronghorn were insane. Yeah. There was the so numbers many. were huge. Didn't we see... How many did we see when we were during scouting day? Was it like 20-something? So, so we had uh, – I don't remember if we had put uh, marks on Onyx for all of them, but I remember we had 23 yeah, that first day. And I think we had our day one shooter, and then we yep. had two or three other ones as day two and day mm-hmm. three shooters in case we couldn't find that one back. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that – it worked out perfectly, which seems to never happen. Uh, but this one was like that was almost too perfect. Just freaking it? crazy how it all came together. <laughs> yeah, but I would also say we busted our ass scouting, and it was brutal. It was brutal hot, and it was twelve hours, fourteen hours. I don't remember, but it was it all long. sun up to dark. Yeah, scouting these things out. We, we go put back. that one to bed. Yeah. And that's where we headed uh, fairly quick right away in the morning. I think we stopped and observed uh, another one for a little while. Yep. Um, there was a decent buck, but not as big. We ended up going back, and he was sitting, what, within a quarter mile of where we had put him to bed at? Dude, I, I almost spot think it's closer than that. Yeah, could, it was, I remember it, it, was, it, was it was very reasonable. We got up there, and we're like, he's got to be right in that area. We're pointing over there, and we're like, okay, he's got to be over there somewhere. So we're sitting there glass, and it was early morning. And uh, pronghorn, they like to they like to hunker down at night. So generally, if you put them to bed, they're gonna be they're gonna be pretty close to where they where he last saw them. And 
yeah, we're glass and glass and wasn't seeing much, but then, I don't know, I saw a, we saw a doe pop up and I go, there's one. And he was with a bunch of does because he's a big old, he's an old bastard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a bunch of does already. Um, we saw her, the doe pop up and then I remember seeing, we saw a rack fucking moving in the, in the grass. I think it's gotta be him. Yeah. He stayed down for a while. All the other does mm-hmm. got up and they started doing their thing. He was like, I think he was, he was the last one to get up. Yeah. And he, right when he got up, he's like, what's going it's, on over there? Eyesight is in, just, for me, was mind blowing on what they can see. We were positioned, what, two miles away, straight south of their yeah. location. I mean, it was, and far. they picked up on us immediately. It was far. It was definitely over a mile, for sure, over a mile. Probably pushing to is far, dude. Yeah, it was far. And obviously, we had our loop, our loophole spotter, and our loophole binos, and everything else that we're looking at them from. But those things are insane how well they can see. Yeah, he got up from bed and he's just staring at us. I'm like, there's no way he sees us. Yeah, and he did not stop staring at us. And then we were talking, we we're talking game plans and this, that, and the other. And I started getting a little frustrated. <laughs> it's like, we got to do something here, he's, we got to move, do something, get out of here. Figure out a plan, do something, and then all of a sudden they fucking, whoops, they took off. I'm like, fuck. Yep. We tried to find them again. So they disappeared. And they, correct me if I'm wrong, but they had moved off to this location located east of where we were at. We weren't familiar with this point on how the property was was set up. Um, it basically come up to a finger on the northeast corner. And we hadn't been up there because we had stopped to watch that, that last buck mm-hmm. until it got dark. Um so we hadn't been up there. We hadn't seen the terrain, how anything was really positioned with the property fences. Um, and it just, it's one of those situations where he moved. We just happened to move the right direction at the right time. We mm-hmm. proceed up to that, this little finger, and he cuts right in front of us as we're, we're moving through yeah. with the UTV. And that's when you uh, basically... Army roll out of the <laughs> out of the UTV and, and I just keep going, man. just to keep the sound of the machine away from where you're you know, at. Well, because uh, when we lost them, when they took off running, they didn't like jog off. They just fucking hauled ass away, straight east away from us. And when we were trying to pick them back up. We found some high ground. And we were trying to pick them back up and couldn't see, couldn't see them, couldn't see them, couldn't see them. And it's all flat there. And if you get a little bit of elevation, you can see. Pretty damn far, right? But then it started warming up, and we it, the the heat waves and the mirage and stuff were cutting into our glassing distance. Like right when the morning, right when the morning, we could see you know two miles ish distance wise and be able to pick up um, pronghorn. But once those heat waves came in, it cut us at least in half, right? Absolutely. Would you say it cut us at yeah. least in half those heat waves. Yep, and we couldn't see shit. And then we just were like, well, let's just go east where they're heading. And we just headed out there, yeah, and then they cut out right in front of us. And I remember, we, I remember Britt was sitting in the middle because we had a – we just had a, a we had a two-door UTV. We, we, have, we, we had, had an open-door UTV. An open-door, <laughs> yeah, is, is a two-door with no doors. <laughs> so just a bench seat. Poor Britt was sitting in the middle of us with his cameras, like, fucking off and doing his thing, like, talking. We are hanging out, yeah, and then – there he goes, runs right in front of us, like, shit, <laughs> there he is. Yeah. And I'm just like, we got to go. We jump out. You, I don't even know if you stop. I'm like, just go, go, go. <laughs> and you just take off. You drove down. How far away were you from us? Well, I can tell you I never heard the shot. Um, 
coming back after I got your phone call that you had actually made con- uh, contact with it and, and dropped the pronghorn, man, you know, I really haven't thought about it, but I was probably half mile from your location. Yeah, I'd say at least, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're pretty far. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, after the shot and I called you, <laughs> Justin, I shot him. Fuck you. <laughs> Seriously. No, you did. Did you? Yes. No, you did. Yes, I did. Fuck off. Yes. He's dead, man. So, oh, I'm coming. <laughs> so, so it was, it was a little mind boggling to me that I couldn't hear the shot. Like I'm familiar with the six, five Creedmoor you're shooting. Because we had done so much practice shooting before we even went on this trip. Mm-hmm. You know, a new rifle you got, new setup with the Tacticam that was on it. Um, so you had been out quite a bit. We've been doing a lot of shooting. And that thing barks, like, just like yeah. any just like any long gun. It mm-hmm. barks. So for me not to hear that shot, and I knew I was in, a, in an open plain area for the most part, mm-hmm. um, no major elevation change, I was shocked. I never heard the shot. Yeah. And and that's with the machine off, and I'm just chilling out, waiting for you to do a pursuit on this animal um, mm-hmm. until either you you do get a shot at it or don't, whatever. But um, so yeah, I was I thought you were full of shit, just fucking with me. <laughs> I'm good. I totally thought you were messing with me. <laughs> yeah, it was it three hours from when we left camp? Three and a half hours, and a half if hours. I remember correctly. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. And this is one of those things too, like like you said, it just worked out almost too perfectly. Yeah, it worked out. So perfectly that I was I was convinced. I'm like, I'm going to lose. They're going to shoot something bigger. We're going to lose. Because that just yeah. was too too perfect. Yeah. And then we didn't. Yeah. And we fucking won, dude. Now we're fucking yeah. Hunt Wars champions. Yeah, that's we'll right. Sell. That's right. I didn't get a medal, but it was, yeah. uh yeah. You got some cool shit, though. The shit's still coming. What a wild trip, though. I mean, every hunter that's that's done whitetail or done pronghorn, regardless of what you've done, doesn't matter knows how things can go wrong so easy so fast Mm -hmm. completely screw the hunt up or you maybe not even go wrong but just didn't work out for your benefit whether it's wind change uh weather conditions whatever um but everything came together just perfect and you executed an awesome shot at 77 yards like that's that at itself is a feat with pronghorn yeah to get that close like honestly I know guys that go out bow hunting pronghorn and take longer shots than that with bows, you know, because it's yeah. just one of those things that are, they're hard to get close to because they can see so well. They can see so well and they have all the other, all the other functions of other animals. Like they can smell really well. They can hear really well. It's like they are very, very skittish and interesting creatures. So it's one of those things, it's tough to get close to them and to pull off that shot. Like, obviously, the shot itself was the easiest part. But, man, getting that close, just making the right decisions and everything else was... It blew my mind. I'm like, holy fuck, this doesn't happen. Yeah. Some clown from... A couple clowns from Iowa yeah. coming into New Mexico to hunt pronghorn that we've never done before. And, man, that was awesome. Dude, the, watching the video of that, immediately following up the shot is probably the funniest goddamn thing I've ever seen. Is you <laughs> not being able to catch your breath, trying to look through the binoculars, can't see shit. You put them up to your face, and you're like, "I can't see a goddamn thing through here." <laughs> and fucking like, oh my god, I can't believe that. The whole thing was just hilarious. The adrenaline was going so hard, yeah. and it it was a wild, it was a wild it trip. Was wild. And 
yeah, the the whole trip was just legendary for us. Yeah. At least for me, it was. It was, it was it incredible. Was awesome. I really appreciate you coming. Yeah, that was awesome. Well, appreciate the invite. Yeah. I mean, look at <laughs> look at everything, and the materialistic things are one thing, but the memories that we we created there that'll stick with me forever. And oh, that's yeah. what an incredible trip. Not just the hunt, but the trip down, the the interaction that we had, the things we got to see, we got to do, man. It was a long trip, dude. Yeah, 18, 19 hours? Yeah, 19 hours. We did stop at every Bass Pro we, we came did. across and spent a lot of fucking We were trying money. to find some snake gators, and no one had snake gators. Of and all we, things. We had to settle on some standard-ass gators, <laughs> and we never even wore them. No, my, 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 mine still have the, yeah. the original packaging, yeah. I wore them white on last year. Yeah. They're pretty nice, yeah. but I didn't wear them are for they comfortable? purpose. Yeah, they're actually really comfortable. They're yeah. really nice. I'll probably start wearing them for gardener snakes around yeah. here when I mow and shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're pretty nice. You get some waterproof boots and some gators. They it actually repels a lot of the water away. It's pretty so pretty good. A big thing we were we were concerned about was a decoy, right? Oh yeah. So we yep. wanted to get That's a right. decoy. So mm-hmm. we ended up finally after like four Bass Pro stops. Yeah, we did. We I think on the fourth one we found one, and we never used the fucking thing. We, we did. It. We practiced it. And <laughs> you scouting day. Yep, I got video of it. You look pretty legit, dude. That's pretty sick. But we didn't use it. No, I should have used it. But didn't need it. <laughs> no, didn't need it. Yeah, it was like day day two and a half, and it just wasn't going our way. I was like, "Give me the decoy, let's go." <laughs> and if after, I after, if I remember correctly, when we we were actually looking at some pronghorn right through our optics, yeah, and moved towards them with that thing, and boy, they didn't fall for that shit at all. No, like, they, they, they took they off. Didn't. I thought for sure because there's a it was a smaller buck with them, and they were actually on the the neighbors. Yep. So they were across the fence. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to, they're, they're not the ones we're going to be hunting. So just see how close I can get to them. I was thinking I could get up to the fence and get them curious enough to come in. Mm-hmm. No. Not even no, remotely. Not even remotely. I'm like, man, fuck. This but didn't work. Where the fuck? You're a pretty big guy, too, standing behind dude, that, that, that thing. <laughs> it is pretty funny. We got to post that video. That shit was hilarious, dude. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> was, I'll send it to you if yeah. you don't have it. It was bad. I, yeah. When I was doing it, I was like, yeah, this is totally, this is totally cool, dude. Yeah. I'm so fucking sneaky. I'm the fucking best hunter in the world. This is going to be great. I'm walking up there. I'm like, there's no way they can see me. Then you show me the video. I'm like, man, I stuck out like a sore thumb. That shit sucks. We needed a bigger decoy. (laughs) We needed a bigger decoy. That shit sucks, dude. Probably should have went with the cow decoy. Yeah. Probably should have. We also got T-boned by an elk. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that'll make you pucker a little bit. So we're heading, we're heading down this. Two lane road. Um, it's it, it's paved, but it's about as rough of a two lane road as you can come across. Yeah, and it must have like a eight or ten foot high fence on the opposite side of the ditch. And all of a sudden, three thirty in the morning, that thing comes just about runs through the passenger side of my truck, and it was a what I believe to be a <laughs> huge seven by seven. And I'm smacking you to wake up and see this thing. Yeah. It's incredible, and you're sound up. asleep. You didn't see shit. No. I finally woke up and I thought we were like in the ditch or something. Like, what the fuck is going on, dude? What the fuck? You're like, we almost got hit by a fucking elk. I'm like, what? Yeah. You're right there. I'm like, I don't see anything. It was huge. I'm like, I don't know, man. I still don't know. I don't know if it's the black dog theory that happened or what, but you know what that is? No. No? It's like, uh, truckers get it when they're trucking. 
and they're driving along. When they get really, really tired, they'll see like a black dog cross the road. And like, oh, fuck. Oh, really? So I don't know if you saw like the black elk or something. <laughs> oh, let me tell you. <laughs> well, if I did, it was a big black elk. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> it was pretty wild. No, that was that was awesome, dude. But uh, I don't know. We're getting pretty far along. We're fucking hour 20 in. So we'll probably cut this. We'll probably have you on like, more than just one. So 10 four. Yeah, that was, uh, it was awesome though. I'm, uh, appreciate the, the invite to come and do this. And yeah, man. hopefully, uh, listeners don't think this was too, yeah. too stupid. Well, but, sorry. Uh, I fucked up. Let the batteries die. We went on and on and on. I'm like, fuck the fucking batteries. That's a God mi- dang it. minor problem. I'm sure yeah. they'll understand if you don't go fuck yourself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I appreciate coming with me on like, all these little adventures and shit, and hopefully we can share them again. You need yep. to come to Africa with us sometime. Yeah, I tell you what, after seeing photographs of your hunt and hearing stories, I'm in. Bro. Yeah. Africa? Yep. Awesome. The yeah. only thing I, I would say is I would love to go to the villages and meet some of the people. Yeah, I think that's definitely doable. Uh, we we talked about it lightly when we were there. Like Before we went there, we were like, yeah, let's do that. And then we were talking to Stuart and stuff, and just one of those things where we were – it was a big group of us, and I don't know. We we wanted to hunt, and I hunted. Ashley and I hunted, and Austin, Austin and Leah, and me and Ashley. We fucking hunted until the last day, and that's when I got my sables. The last yeah. evening, of the last day, so we just didn't have time to go out there and meander around too much. But, right. Um, I think next time we could definitely work something like that out. I feel like we that, that would be that would be awesome. Yeah. To jump on a trip and be able to deliver some of the meat to it, some of the orphanages and see how. That whole process goes would be pretty dope. Yeah, but absolutely. We're definitely going to go back to Africa, and you got to come with. Well, be I'll be excited to uh, get an invite if you guys decide to go back. Hell yeah. Well, All it's right. your invite, motherfucker. All so right. your pennies. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, um, this concludes the first, uh, I guess this will be the first episode. I don't, know if it, I don't know if it'll be the first episode, but you're my first guest on this podcast, so hopefully it's not too fucking gay. And... Um, I'm going to sign off here. Is there anything you want to sign off with here? Like, tell everyone if they can find you somewhere. If not, then fuck off. No, man. I don't I don't really. I got an Instagram. You can go to Trees, Justin, in uh, North Central Iowa. You'll, you'll be able to find me. Um, there's some Hunt War stuff on there. Um, some other outdoor pics of the boys and the family uh, getting involved with deer and fishing and everything else. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Are you in the working class bow hunter group or not on Facebook and shit? I am. You are. Yeah. Yep. So you'll be in there too. Yep. So that's one of those things. All right, guys. Episode one in the books. I appreciate everyone listening. Um, you know, still new to this whole thing. We're going to work through the kinks and bumps and bruises along the way. Um, appreciate everyone tuning in the first episode. Stay tuned um, for the next for next week. Uh, we got a lot of cool things coming up. So just uh, bear with me and Hope you stay along for the journey. Thanks, guys.